Well, we um, had been searching for a church um, for a while. Just felt like we needed some type of connection. We ended up at Rock Harbor because we actually got recommended Rock Harbor by another church. Um, we went there and, and they were very supportive of us church shopping and, and seeing what was in the valley and they said, you gotta go to Rock Harbor and check them out. We had graduated college six years ago and we're kind of going to church to church to church trying to figure out which was the right church for us um, and decided to give Rock Harbor a try. Um, said they fell in love with it and ended up inviting me to a boys and toys night. Um, and I just fell in love with the community of guys that were out there and from that point on I grabbed Lauren and said this is the church we want to go to and let's go try it out and we've been going ever since. Uh, I would say we were kind of in that lukewarm to cold Christian uh, faith. Always, we grew up Christian, we met each other, and knowing that our faith was Christian, but we didn't really practice it as as, uh, as intently as we should. And being able to come to Rock Harbor and serving as a community and being in community groups um, has really, really uh, pushed not only our, our faith, but our marriage, our friendships, um, and just our love for Christ. We went through a lot of hard stuff um, before we were married and just having a place that welcomes us with open arms and just people that will be there for you no matter what is truly amazing. So my relationship with the Lord has, has changed a lot. Um, I feel like it was kind of transactional just going to church on Sunday, um, going, living my life the week and going to church next Sunday. Um, with Rock Harbor, we were really able to dive into the Word on our own, um, and even within our marriage, um, we've seen a lot of transformation with um, how we pray together, um, how we parent together. The way of really understanding the power of grace and the fact that we're all real stinking people and um, that we get to help be that to other people. Having a six-year-old who knows the Lord or is coming to understand God from a little six-year-old's perspective has been so amazing for us to see. You know, um, she talks about God and looking at her when she's worshiping and understanding what it means to raise your hand to worship the Lord. Like, it, it, that I feel like that, if, if anything, that has probably been the most important and amazing thing for me to see and for us to see. Um, as parents, for sure. I've been blessed by others. So for me, it's I want other people to be able to experience that as well. Um, and so, you know, me waking up early every other Sunday so to go set up, set up um, is, is kind of the least I could do. Um, so I think just kind of paint it forward. And we've both found places to be involved that we are really passionate about. We're both passionate about the foundation group and um, Sam does media stuff and when you're passionate about it, it's not a big deal to give your time and your treasure and your talent. You know, there's no question that it's worth it. Well, it's awesome to be able to hear their story. I know in each one of those couples, as we've been talking about considering your way forward, to know that Rock Harbor got to be a uh, 
uh, important piece of their journey as they considered their way forward, knowing the stones and their heart for marriage ministry and seeing as they came alongside for this foundations group and, and the Borgmans uh, who are now, who came here as an engaged couple and they were part of Merge and then now, which is our premarital group, had a mentor couple now serving in, in foundations, which is this young marrieds coming alongside. These groups got together, had a Friendsgiving. Uh, it was great to see the pictures. I wasn't invited, but um, praise God. Um, they're, they're enjoying each other uh, without me and any of the staff, but it's fine. Um, but after everything we've done for them, um, but, and then the jesters, uh, their journey of groups, each one of these couples have been deeply impacted by community groups. And that's what we're about as a church. We want to create community, a safe place, whether it's young, married, old, married, single, whatever it would possibly be, all ages, even in our kids and student environments, there's groups that are going on right now. And we look at the jesters family and knowing that just a few years ago, as they were praying through adoption, we as a church got to come alongside them and bring prayer, encouragement, what can we do uh, to help? And as Remy came into their life and, and knowing that uh, they, they, uh, we got to partner in a financial manner. We have a, we have a grant for adoption, orphan care, uh, foster care that people apply for, and we got to bless them in that way and, and be a small part of that journey. And as she came into their family, I just wanted to kidnap her. That's illegal, but I wanted to really bad. Um, and my wife probably would have, and I'm like, we've had a lot of adoptions. I could talk about adoption forever, okay? We have adopted four times, and um, we could just talk about it all day. How about that? Turn your Bibles to John 14. No, just kidding. But John 14, 18 does say, does say that I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says that. And so um, knowing that this month is National uh, Adoption Awareness Month, we as a church want to come beside families, whether it be financially or with encouragement or counsel, to say, okay, how do we continue to carry out the heart of Christ? Because it was the Christians, those first followers of Jesus that rescued kids outside of the city gates. Those different individuals in Rome that would have a child with, some, with special needs. They have a child with some kind of sickness. They have a child that was unwanted. They would place them outside of the city to leave them for whomever or for whatever. And the Christians would come, scoop them up, and bring them into their families. That's been the heart of Christ from the very beginning. That's the beginning of the church, and that's who we will continue to be as a church, and we have a heart for that. And in fact, this last week, getting to be in Guatemala and being part of those 26 kids at our orphanage uh, down there, I could talk about that all day. We'll talk about that on December 16th, but it's great to be able to know that we're part of a church and part of a community that, that welcomes and encourages this opportunity to be the heart of Christ uh, through adoption and orphan care. You know, today as uh, we talk in this book of Haggai, um, you know, it's going to be uh, kind of a message for those of us that find ourselves discouraged at times or in a time of crisis. And I remember about nine years ago, I was going through a journey of, God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? And I'd been a youth pastor for quite a while, and I was not, it wasn't that I was tired of Mountain Dew and overnighters, because to this day, I still enjoy those. Um, but I've cut back on the Mountain Dew, except for when I cheat on cheat days, which is mainly every other day. Um, but but um, I just remember God was sort of moving in my heart, and I started praying about church planning, being in missions, and I prayed about joining a MANA ministry, prayed about joining uh, Vapor ministry, which we support here as outreach, and going, God, what is it you want me to do? And I had some church planning friends, and so I went to Yakima, Washington, and prayed about planting a church there. My wife and I went there for a few days. My in-laws live there. And so we were, this, we've been to their house multiple times, but never on like a survey trip for church planting. And so we were traveling around the city, meeting with pastors. I remember getting up early and praying over the city and going, God, 
what is it that you want us to do? Is this something you could call us to do? And after two days of my in-laws, I thought, no, God's not leading me here. And so we left. We left. And then uh, about a year after that, we went up to Spokane. And uh, what God had moved in my heart was I, I really loved Meridian and kind of the suburbia feel. I know that's not super sexy. Most church planners are like, I'm going to the inner city. I'm going to urban. I'm going, I'm hipster. You know, I'm going to go coffee shops and reach people for Jesus. And I'm like, I'm going to Costco, you know? So, um, so that was kind of the thing. I'm like, God, I was looking for Meridian somewhere else. And we found ourselves up in Spokane up by uh, Mount Spokane High School, uh, by Mead High School. How many of you guys been up there? You know kind of where that is. And so I was like, God, is this where you uh, are desiring for, for us to go? And we prayed through it, met with some church planters. And I remember taking this picture. This is at Liberty Lake, uh, just up the mountain from the Home Depot and the sandwich shop that we got lunch at. We drove up a hill and looked at some houses we could never afford. It was great. Um, but on the west side, you've got Spokane Valley and Spokane. And on the, on the east side, you have Post Falls, Coeur d'Alene, and all that. And I'm just going, okay, God, is this where you're calling us? Right here in the middle where these cities are going to be connected at some point. And uh, I went and uh, prayed with my wife up there. And then I stepped out of the car. I said, I'm going to take a picture. She's like, okay. And so I step out. And as I went to take the picture, I see a golf ball right there. I stepped on it off, just off the curb. And I grabbed that golf ball. I put it in my cup holder. I took this picture and it rolled around in the, in the cup holder. And after a month, I threw it out because God didn't call me there. And so... Um, but that journey was just, I remember processing and going through this time of, I would say, discouragement. I would say, like, being stirred up for something, but really not knowing what that is. And it's interesting how God doesn't take us around a trial. He takes us through. I remember praying through that and really seeking his wisdom and then feeling like, at times, a failure, inequipped. I could never do this. I'm really going to uproot, at that time, one adoption. We had four children, twins. I'm like, Lord, you want us to move, and what do you want us to do? And and I remember going through this, and I see the same thing in God's chosen people in the book of Haggai as this prophet came and was speaking the word of the Lord to him. And when you guys came in, you were given a program. There's some notes that are there. If you have your Bibles or your phones, I encourage you to turn to Haggai. You should probably find it by the time we get done today. Um, but it's in, in the Old Testament. And in God's perfect timing, he moves on this prophet to communicate to God's people that it's time to build the temple of God. And there was a temple that once existed that Solomon had built. It was magnificent. It was beautiful. They worshiped the Lord there. The problem is, is they started to worship other gods there. They weren't just worshiping the one true God. They started to worship other things. And we would say, why would they ever do that? Well, we do the same thing. Our idols might look a little bit different. They might not be a graven image of made out of something or that represents something. Ours are like ourself, like our way over God's way. It would be our money over, over it being all God owning everything, but we find ourselves in the same place. And their decisions got them separated from God. And so God said, if you're going to make those choices, I'm going to allow a few things to happen. Not because God is punishing, but rather God is allowing. I've made decisions in my life that got me in a predicament because of choices that I made. I know none of you have probably struggled and made a bad decision, but maybe you're as real stinking as me and you find yourself, you've found yourself in a place where God maybe allowed something in your life. And God's goal is always restoration. It's to bring you back to him. And so his desire is that they would come back to him. In 587, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was ruling. The, the, the Babylonians had come in and they had crushed the city of Judah. They had destroyed this temple. And the Jewish people were taken into captivity for 50 years, all because of this disobedience that came in. 
But then this good governor, this man by the name of Zerubbabel, would, who, who would all on three say Zerubbabel? One, two, three. Zerubbabel. Isn't that great? The next person at Rock Harbor that will name their kid Zerubbabel, you can, you can have a gift for you at the tent, okay? <laughs> we have like a coffee mug. We might upgrade it to a hat or a t-shirt, but we have something for you. Just let me know. Um, but we want to we wanna honor that, that step of faith. Um, but Zerubbabel started to build the temple. He started to say, hey, we need to get this foundation in place. We get the altar going. They're ready to do this thing. And then when opposition comes, they quit. It starts to get difficult. Back then, that slogan of when the going gets tough, the tough get going, it hadn't come out yet. So no one was staying by that. I don't even know how to say that in Hebrew, but it wasn't happening, okay? And so they're not, they're not, they're, when the going got tough, they bailed. They quit. 14 years goes by. 14 years, and then comes Haggai. He comes in. And he, by the word of the Lord, he's speaking to God's people. He's the mouthpiece for God on what they are to do. That they are to not just build their own houses, they're to build the house of the Lord. They're not to just focus on building their own portfolio. They're to be generous and gracious towards God's great work. They're to put their hands to the work of the Lord. They're to put their hearts towards the work of the Lord. And he's stirring them up and he's saying, now is the time. It is the perfect time. And I got the chance to listen to Scott's message from last week as I was in Guatemala. He didn't do it in Spanish, so I had a little while translating in my head. But I did listen to it on 2X. How many of you guys listen to podcasts? How many listen on 2X? You can get a lot done really fast, okay? And I'll tell you, Scott talks fast on 1X. 2X, I thought my phone was going to start on fire. He's like, but he got to this one part, and I hit 1X to slow it down because he said it's so good. He said, don't put your comfort ahead of your calling. He said, don't put your comfort ahead of of your calling. Man, I'm really good at putting my comfort ahead of my calling. If it feels good, I should do that more often, right? It felt good to me. Rather than this calling that sometimes is uncomfortable, it's going through that trial rather than around it. It's trusting God even when things are difficult. See, God's chosen people, they have this foundation that was set for 14 years. We've seen that, right? We've seen that even in our economy over the last you know, a couple of decades, we've seen a project or a house or some foundation be set. And we see what happens over a 14-year period that it's kind of this remembrance of what could have been or what once was, but wasn't quite finished. You know, there's some unique parallels in this book of Haggai that we're actually experiencing also as a church that God has called us out in a way to build more than just the building, to worship him, to build the lives of people. And let's see if we can find some parallel in what Haggai is calling out as the messenger of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. He said, I'm with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of a guy, governor of Judah, the spirit of, Josh, the spirit of Joshua, the son of another person, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. God stirred up in the high priest. God stirred up in his people. They had this sense of faith. They're ready to move forward. Have you ever been stirred up? There's nothing like it. There's nothing like being stirred up for God. Not that it's easy. You know, our our vision for this year, the statement we've been going back to over and over is, God, give me faith. Give me faith. That sounds really good in church, right? God, just give me faith. Give me an enduring, a growing faith. That's like an uphill battle. Give me faith is like being on the mountain. God, give me faith. A growing, enduring means you got a ways to climb. 
It's difficult. It's work. It's not that comfortable. It's that calling. It's through the trial, not around the trial. We're being stirred up. They're being stirred up. How did they respond? It says in verse 14, they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. You know what? They worked really, 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 really hard for a month. You can't build a temple in a month, right? They worked really, 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 really hard for a month. They come up against some opposition and they stopped. Then they had this religious festival where they're all going to get together and they're ready to worship the Lord. And as they're worshiping the Lord and as they're having this festival, they look right there and they see the house of God. This foundation has started but hasn't been finished. It actually brought them to a place of embarrassment. I've gone, man, we kind of gave up on it. It got difficult. So what started with enthusiasm and excitement one month later kind of fizzled out. One month later, it stalls out. Have you ever had this happen in your life? Have you ever started something and not finished it? Okay, anybody? Like, you don't have to raise your hand unless you want to. Like, we're the only real stinking people here. There's a couple of us, okay? We've started something and not finished it. Maybe you planned to, like, get out of debt, and then Black Friday showed up. Like, two days ago, you're like, I'm getting out of debt. Oh, never mind, maybe next year. You know, it's Christmas. We got to do all these things. This is part of what it means. Maybe you started a diet. Actually, it's not called a diet. I wrote a new word for it. A new lifestyle of food consumption. Okay? Maybe you started one of those. Or you had this gym membership with these really good intentions, but you found yourself not really going. You know, it started strong, or you took two steps forward, but then you feel like you're taking three steps backwards. Well, God's people felt the same way. They started something, they hadn't finished it. Now they have this shame that's kind of involved with it. Haggai 2.3 says it this way. Who's left among you? Who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Who saw when Solomon built that awesome temple? Man, Haggai's about 70 years old. He's saying, I remember it. And what does it look like now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Talk about being discouraged. Talk about, I mean, think of getting married and your spouse going, you know, my parents used to take me to Disneyland every year. And you're going, we can't even go to Wahoos. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, well, that's the former glory. Congratulations. Welcome to the family. You know, I thought we were going to get a do. Yeah, I thought it was going to be. And it's just not. And you have this discouragement comes in because you remember what was. And now you're looking at the reality. You know, a cause of discouragement can be when we compare ourselves. It's when we compare ourselves to other people or, or other things. You know what's bad? We got to stop doing it. We can't compare our start with someone else's finish. You can't compare your start with someone else's finish. Some of you guys make your own furniture. Like, I've seen you post about it. Like, you make it, and you, like, take something old. You make it look older because then it's worth more money. It looks cooler, you know, and you do all, like, this stuff, and you build it in your garage, and I build stuff, and my kids don't even want it. I'm like, okay, mom said this isn't good, but I think it's good enough for you and your play area. And the kids are like, no, dad, we don't want it. Like, it's horrible. I'm like, okay, that's great. I just wasted a lot of time. You know, some of you have these skills and you can make stuff happen and you're gifted in certain ways. And some of you, you know, you're like, yeah, I changed my own brakes. I saved $75. And I'm like, I use keyless entry and electric start. You know what I mean? Like some of you, you can do things, you have these skills and you compare yourselves to the skill set of other people. Well, they're comparing this old temple to this new set of ruins. The silver's not as good and the gold isn't as good. It doesn't look the same. And you may look at other people's lives and say, look at his job. Look at my job. Look at his car. Look at my car. 
Look at the house that he owns and look at the rental that I'm in. You see these things and you look at the difference between other people's finished product and your unfinished business. That mom that's like, hey, look at her kid going in with homemade lunch. We forgot lunch money for mine, you know? They've got a kid that's getting college credit in fifth grade and your kid's flunking PE, you know? You're like, this is awesome, you know? We compare and we feel like I'll never match up. You see him as more successful and he's traveling and, you know, She's posting and getting invited to stuff and everybody's liking her stuff and you post and no one says anything and you're wondering if the internet broke, you know? Like, what's going on? Like, I'd, I'd actually appreciate, uh, you know, mad face, dislike button. Like, I'd appreciate something to know that the internet's working because no one's responding. It's just crickets and you're going, how come they do this and it looks this way and they take family pictures and yay, they look all great and then my kids look satanic, you know? Um, and you're trying to figure out like this comparison game. I remember first stepping into church planting and, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a couple of friends that were church planters and I remember them talking about their calling and a couple of them were called to Boston. I'm like, Boston, that's like super sexy. That's like awesome. Like Boston, woo, you know? And I'm like, ready in Idaho, <laughs> you know? It's like not that exciting, you know? And, and I remember going, okay, but we're the 28th least church city in the nation. Like we need the message of Christ and, and they're going to like coffee shops and hipster environments and I'm going to Costco, you know what I'm saying? And so it's just like this different kind of thing. And I remember comparing in my mind and going, they're gifted. They're getting invited to speak naturally. And people are like throwing money out their car to their church plant because they're so excited about what God is doing. And my family's not even returning my phone calls, you know? And I'm like, hey, I believe God's called me. Well, we're praying for you, you know? I mean, I remember all these emotions of that. And they're traveling around speaking places and I'd been a youth pastor. I'm like talking to youth kids, you know, and I'm like, you know, showing a video clip and Napoleon Dynamite and going, yeah, God loves you, you know, and then we played dodgeball and some kid would start bleeding and I'm like, Jesus bled for you and I'd lead him to Christ, you know, <laughs> like, and I'm going, okay, how's this going to work? I believe that I'm called. I believe that I'm being set apart and I believe that we're to create this, you know, relational environment of transparency of real stinking people, but I don't know exactly what it's going to look like and I found myself comparing what God was doing in my heart, and there's no comparison. There's no comparison when it's the active stirring up of the Holy Spirit. And for me as a pastor, and maybe for many people who are in ministry or have been in ministry, or um, there's this constant like kind of low hum of discouragement that lives inside of us at all times. To where you preach a message and you're like, man, I could have done this, I should have done this, I wished I would have done this, and I hope that that connected, and I just, uh, and I, I guess I'll do it next week. I won't have a job. Probably should, you know. And these emotions come in, and it just kind of lives there constantly. And I'm not saying this so you, like, after service, I get a, a big hug or a pat on the back or a, hey, darn it, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you, Keith. I'm not looking for any of that. I'm not looking for an email or a message or anything. I'm only sharing with you because there's this constant thing of, like, it's continual work in progress. My heart hurts for like every marriage that struggles. And I want to know every name of every person because I care about every single story. I care about every single life. And I see my life and I'm going, man, 
God's doing a work here at our church, but then I feel the heaviness of, man, I want, if I would have called that person, if I would have spoke on this topic, if I would have handled this this way, if we had this ministry, and there's this constant drum of dissatisfaction, falling short, And then I see people not step into community. I see an opportunity to serve. And I don't say this because we're looking for more people to serve or more people to be in community. I just know it's life-giving. And I want that so bad. And I wish everybody had that. And I wish everybody had that hope. I step back from that and I'm going, man, I want to be the dad that I need to be and I'm not being. I want my marriage to be this way and it needs to work. And Keith, if you're, if you're really a pastor, you're really in ministry and your life really looks like this. I see God be so strong in our weakness. I have parents come to me and say, my, ha- my son's having these types of thoughts. He wants to harm himself. And I'm going, I've been through this. I've lost a son. In a ministry that I never imagined having, the Lord has been strong in that weakness. Conversations are being had. And the adoption journey that we've been on that hasn't been easy at all times and all of our adoptions, God's given a mouthpiece for something to take place. I see a strength in our weakness. And I know sometimes I look at it as a lack of progress and I don't feel like things are there yet. But what I do know is God is incredibly faithful. And I see him continue to work. And I see life after life be surrendered and person after person taking a step of baptism. And family after family committing to a community group and committing to serving. And I get here after being in Guatemala all week and I show up and there's 30 people ready to set this place up. And they're excited. And I'm lifted. And I'm encouraged. And their joy and their fervor and their obnoxious, ornery behavior, talking smack about my cowboys, you know, it gets me excited and I realize I'm not in this alone. And I just want to preach the word and I want to plant churches and I want to be excited for what God's excited about. And I want to build the house of the Lord and I want to see it happen. And I watch it happen as we unify together. And God begins to call this group of people out to do something together. Here's what God spoke to Haggai to share. Be strong, O Zerubbabel. This is in verse 4. Declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, O the people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I'm with you, declares the Lord. Of host. He says, be strong and do the work. Be strong, do the work. He doesn't say dream the dream. He says, do the work. He doesn't say talk the talk. He says, do the work. He doesn't say compare yourself with other people. He said, do the work. He doesn't say, hey, evaluate the lack of progress that you're having. Compare yourself to other people. He says, do the work. He says, be strong, do the work. Get up, do the work. Fight forward, do the work. Do this together. He's strong in our weakness. Romans 8 says it this way. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit that dwells in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive inside of you. If you've surrendered your heart to him and your life to him, he's alive. He's at work in you. Be strong. Do his work. It's not your work no longer. It's his work alive in you. Be strong even when your boss isn't being honorable. Do the honorable thing. 
Be strong when that person in that relationship is showing an absence of love and they're not giving you what you feel like you deserve or you should get. You give that love anyways. You reach out even when they're not reaching out. To continue praying, continue fighting, to do the work of God. Let's finish the foundation that's being laid. You know why? For if we don't grow weary when doing good, then in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. Let's continue to fight on. Let's continue to do the work. Let's continue to to press towards this harvest. And Jesus says, I'm with you. God says in the Old Testament over and over, for I am with you. Be strong. Be courageous. Haggai says it this way, and this is what the Lord says. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in the dry land, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth from the sea and the dry land. I'm going to shake it down. I will shake the nation so that the treasure of the nations will come in. How does God take up an offering? He shakes it down. He wants to shake it down from his people. He'll bring it from the heavens. He'll bring it from the nations. He'll bring it from an evil king. God will build what God wants to build. His kingdom will be glorified forever. It will be preeminent over all other kingdoms, all other nations. It's going to come in. He's going to fill his house with glory, the Lord of hosts says. For the silver, it's his. The gold, it's his, declares the Lord. This latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give a peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He said the glory of the present temple is greater than the glory of the former temple. Solomon, what you did was incredible. But what I'm doing now is important. Some of you don't believe that in your heart, in your life. You're looking to some other situation in your past, some other expectation of what what you thought your present would be. You know what God is calling out? Your present obedience is more important than your past faithfulness. I don't see a single person writing that down. Actually, this lady in the stripes is writing that down. Somebody needs to write that down, okay? Your present obedience is more important than your past faithfulness. Don't be a has-been. Don't be a, oh, that, that one time, oh, man, God did this. It was such a monumental state of faith of, I can't believe what God did. You know what? Praise God for what he did. Let's remember it. But why do we remember it? Because of what he's doing ahead, what he's calling us out in the future. Let's not be a church of the past. Let's not be a bunch of has-beens. Let's not be, hey, I remember that one time. Oh, remember that temple? Remember what God built there? Oh, that was amazing. Let's just remember that monument. No. Let's press towards a movement. God's laid a foundation. He's calling out something new, something fresh. And he's saying to his people, yes, the former temple was awesome. But the present one that I'm building in you is even better because he knew he was sending his only son, a sacrifice to be paid once and for all so that God didn't just dwell, the presence of God, the very presence of God didn't just dwell in a temple that was built by the worship and the work of a man's hand. No, it was going to live alive in you, in a man's heart. Not something built by a man's hand, something built by a man's heart. Someone's saying, my heart is for you. I surrender my life to that Messiah who offered himself, his blood poured out for me. That is my Lord. That is my Savior. But some of us, we can't get through those times of crisis. And I remember coming through my time of crisis. And I had resigned my staff position at my church. And I went through a couple of months of praying and fasting. And God, what is next? 
remember getting together with a group of mentors and getting together with my pastor and saying, God has called me to plant a church and I believe it's going to be in Meridian, Idaho. I remember that conversation and going, hey, how can we partner for the gospel? I remember waking up that next day and I hardly went to sleep. I don't know that I needed to wake up because I don't think I went to sleep because I was ready because I just said, hey, this is what God has called me to do. This was a stake in the ground to take that next step. And I drove a circle around this city and I got to a place just off of Amity and Meridian Road, Mary McPherson Elementary. And I thought, hey, this is above the valley. I'm going to take a picture so I can kind of create a memorial in this moment right here. And I took a picture and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a video. I don't know that anybody's going to ever watch it. I don't know if anybody's ever going to come to Rock Harbor Church. And I shot a video that day. It was freezing cold. I didn't have a beard. 24 degrees, and I remember just like chattering, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And I did a couple of takes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, Keith, I went in the car, trying to heat her up, warmed up a little bit, then came back out. I'm like, I'm ready. You know, I'm like, Rocky Balboa, let's do this. Let's do a video for no one that goes to this church at all. But anyways, it's going to glorify God, you know. It's me and the Lord, you know, and my wife is going, my husband's crazy. She's not in the car, but she is glad she wasn't. And so I'm here, I'm shooting this video, and I go to get this stance because I'm going to ready, I'm going to get this, you know, wide base, ready to do it. Get the squat in, looking good, get the camera here, thin out the chin. You know, I'm ready to do this. And I notice there's a rock under my foot, so I stamp it down. It won't go away. I look down because the ground's thinking frozen. It was a golf ball. And I'm like, oh, God, you're funny. That Spokane one, psh, gone. But this one, this is from you. You could have given it to me about a month ago, God, but you wait till now. I put it in my pocket, cried like a baby. Four years later, I'm on our 21 acres of property just off of Chendon. We're walking around it and praying with our staff team and our elders. And we're walking around and we had these little vials that we put dirt in and it gave us a chance to pray and it served as a monument. And we've had them for almost two years. I remember walking around together and my wife and I pulled off to pray and we're kneeling down in the grass. And I remember drawing the RH logo, the new one, not the old one. The new one's so much better. But anyways, um, I draw that RH logo on the ground and my wife's like, uh, you're horrible at drawing. I'm like, you're horrible at drawing. And we get to fight. Um, but I remember that and I look over and there was a golf ball right next to me. I'm like, God, you're really funny. I put it in my pocket and I can't wait to tell any, somebody. And I walk over and I see John Elliott over there. I'm like, John, John, come here, come here. He's one of our elders. I'm like, John, look what I found. I found a golf ball. And he knew the whole golf ball story. He's like, oh man, that's so good. He let me have a moment. And he goes, hey, Keith, I found one too. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. That is so awesome. We should have known. It's on a golf course, you know, that there's going to be a golf ball. But it's still like ministered to my heart. And maybe I'm just cheesy and maybe I'm looking for something. And maybe I'm just saying, God, would you show yourself faithful? And God, I, I'll take a sign from heaven that you're in this. And he told me, you're not in this alone. Because other people are finding faith and other people are finding golf balls and other people are finding vision. And there's been a foundation that's been built. So I'm going to add to that. Are you going to trust me for that? He doesn't leave us orphans. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. Do we have the courage did we have the enduring, growing faith to be strong even in our weakness and to do the work? You know, when bricks were laid by each of those people to build that temple, it was an act of worship. And when you lay down a brick, you think about each one of them. And you think about who it's going to glorify. 
in every offering that we give, in every Sunday that we serve, in each time to the, through the week that we share the message of Christ, and each time we invite somebody to come to church with us, and every time we go pick a kid up that doesn't have a ride, and we invite them to come to Anchor and Slingshot, every time we get here a little bit early to get to a huddle, and every time we stay a little bit late to tear down a church building, we honor our Lord. That's how we build the church. That's how we build the kingdom. But we're going to have to be strong together and do his work together. Let's pray together. God, we want to praise you for the opportunity to worship. Worship through song, worship through scripture, but also worship in our ways. Worship in our work. God, I know some maybe came in today with some heaviness of comparison, some lack of progress. Maybe they feel like if they're a follower of you, they shouldn't be sinning in these ways. And God, I pray that they'd recognize that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're faithful. God, we wouldn't relish in just what you've done in the past, but we press towards what you do in the future. What you're doing in the present, God, let our present obedience outshine the faithfulness of our past. Thank you for the, the good word you've given us, this example of Haggai calling out to a dark place and saying, let's live differently. Let's build the work of God. Let's join in how he's already working. Thank you for the faithful word and the chance we get to respond to it today. God, let us be strong and do your work. It's by your name, the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.